This is Dan Jurgens, and you are listening to the Top 5 Comics Podcast. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast. People talking about comics, pop culture, and events. Here with us today from the scarred world of Thunder the Barbarian is Steve. <laughs> what I don't understand, I destroy. And I destroy everything. Pretending to be a scientist, but really just being some kind of weird barbarian guy. The, the redhead guy from the Herculoids. I, I, don't, I don't know his name. He has a dragon that shoots lasers out of his tail. Hannah Barbera. That's Rob, everybody. <laughs> Man, I'm trying to remember his name, and normally I do because I usually tell Ross. I think it's Xandar. Yeah, there you go, Xandar. So I guess I did know his name. Fired. Double fired. I didn't at the time that I said that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or that it was said before me. One of the two. Yeah. Yeah. You are a crazy person. Yeah. All right. Uh, man. Welcome to Top 5 Comics Podcast, right? Um, today we're doing episode number... 81? <laughs> All right. Those episodes approved by Stephen Wolf. <laughs> Which, if you've seen the Blu-ray version of Superman Batman, I guess that's who that was supposed to be. I don't know. He didn't have a guitar. Hey! You're talking about a different Stephen Wolf. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a different true. guy. That's true, yeah. This one, yeah, different guy. DC Stephen Wolf. There you go. Yeah. That's who I was, I was talking that's about. That's the only Stephen Wolf that actually makes sense. I don't, I'm just <laughs> being stupid. <laughs> no, he, he's a guy in real life that plays guitar. That's... What he does. And he approves, which is the main thing, I guess. Yeah, so there's that. Um, <laughs> God. Uh, all right, so today we're going to be doing, man, uh, The Accused, number one, from Marvel. Uh, the Flintstones, number two, from DC. Lady Killer, from Dark Horse Comics, number... Oh, Lady Killer 2, number one, from Dark Horse Comics. It's the sequel to the first series. Um, Spider-Man Deadpool number seven, and then, uh, Batman, well, it's not Batman, it's the all-star Batman number one from, uh, DC Comics. I think we'll do them in that order. Does that sound like a good idea? Sounds good. Hey, because that sort of worked. Um, do we have any news today, Rob? Um, I don't think I have any comic news, actually. I do have, um, I guess video game news over the last couple days, No Man's Sky dropped. Which looks like a fantastic game, so uh, take it, take a look. It's kind of like Star Trek meets Minecraft, is what I understand. So, uh, well, that sounds absolutely ridiculous. But all right, yeah, it's 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 awesome. It looks great, but it's it's an exploratory game that you do get to go into space and you do kind of harvest stuff. You don't build things like you do in Minecraft. And the goal for no Man's Sky is to get to the center of the galaxy, and they bolster a lot of different planets, so, I don't know. It, it looks pretty darn cool. Alright. Well, that's cool. That came out just a couple days ago, so. Alright. Um, I think they're still talking about Suicide Squad in the media, and how it's got a mixed bag of reviews. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised with that, actually. I, I thought it was actually really good. 
but it does sound like there was a lot of content that was cut and changed. So this might be one of those films that I don't think is too bad. That would be pretty cool to see a director's cut of. Sure. Now, I guess one of the big reasons they cut a lot of the content was that the tone of it was much more serious or much more dark film than the like kind of more lighthearted version of it that we saw. Right. There's supposed to be a bunch of much other uh, Joker, Jared Leto scenes that got yeah. taken out too, which would also lend to that idea. So, uh, you know, I guess once it drops, we'll see. But yeah. uh, interesting idea. I I, I I liked it too. You know, as far as movies are concerned, it's fun to watch. I'll give you, yeah, it's three or four scripts run together, which in hindsight, there's some dialogue that contradicts each other. But at the same time, I mean, if you watch it once, you're probably fine. You watch it twice, you're paying too much attention. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, you know. And I mean, there's some characters that get by because of the goodwill of the fan base. I mean, you know, Killer Croc comes across a lot better than he probably would if he talked more. Yeah, that's <laughs> the same true. thing's true for Captain, or, yeah, for Captain Boomerang. There's evidently some stuff that we knew was cut that paints him as a much darker character, you know. But honestly, if you didn't know these characters... I think you come out of that theater knowing those characters a lot better than you did when he came in. Is yeah. it is it comic accurate? No. You no. Know, is 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 Deadshot one hundred percent right? No. No. But you know they they play off pretty well, I think. And you know honestly, at least at the very least, they knew that we were coming to that film for Harley Quinn. We didn't get a Wolverine origin mistake in there where like Deadpool tanks the whole movie. You know if they did Harley wrong. It wouldn't have mattered how good the rest of the film was. No one would ever have seen anything but what they did wrong with Harley. That's true. Yeah. Which in talking now is that uh, apparently Miss Robbie's going to be doing a, a sequel or a Harley Quinn standalone. Hmm. I guess she's uh, somehow involved in the production of it also. So I guess the way the way the people are fans, fantasizing about it on the internet is that she fell in love with the character and now she wants to do something awesome. Which, I mean, maybe that's true, maybe it's not. You know, it, it is what it is. I mean, the only one knows how she feels about Harley Quinn is her, I guess. But the end-all, be-all of it is she played her okay, and it's strong enough to make its own movie. I mean, Affleck's doing it with the Batman. Grant Affleck's a great director, and the way I understand it, Robbie's only producing, I guess? I doubt yeah. I doubt she's doing anything writing-wise, but you never know. Meh. Yeah. And I think, I, mean, I don't know, if we get a Harley Quinn standalone movie, the talk is that it'll be more siren-centric, if that makes sense. So like your Catwoman, your your Ivy, maybe Birds of Prey, which is a weird spin. If you're gonna do another movie for Harley Quinn, why would you do another team movie? But I can see you doing a Gotham City Sirens, because then you don't have to rely on the one character by herself and all of her crazy backstory. We kind of got already. Yeah. So. Well, that and and you can kind of build that without having a whole lot of Joker does this, Joker does that. But you know, don't expect if if. Poison Ivy's in the film. Don't expect him to go all the way off the rails and start a whole new romance with her. You know, there's there's a certain amount of what you got to understand that going into a film. You know, I don't know. That'd be the flavor of the day, Rob. It's true. Flavor of the day. I'm saying that that's what I want to see. Well, I'm sure, there's a lot of fans that would like it, to see if that. If at some point someone from DC listens to this, the DC Jeff Johns, I'm talking to you, buddy, and you're looking to hire somebody to direct things, and you're like, I can direct things. I wrote comic books. Yeah, you work for Richard Donner too, buddy, and it's not like you haven't done things. I'm just saying, I know a guy to direct some stuff. You know what I mean? And you should, you should give brother a call. That's all. That's enough. That's enough of that. Yeah. You got enough on your. Dan, plate. Dan Didio. 
I know you're not charging any of that, man, but you tell Jeff Johns, look, look me up. We had dinner in Denver. It was Italian. I thought I might get killed while I was there. But there's a lot more people, so it wouldn't have been easy. I'm not saying the guy can't do it, Rob. I'm just no, saying. No, hey, for a guy who does comics, he, he does look surprisingly thuggish. He does. Yeah. <laughs> No, there, there is no persecution meant there, sir. No, no. It's more of a, it's like a medal of honor. It's kind of an, an impressive thing. Yeah, I'll we'll give you that. I'll we'll give you that. Well, it, he didn't walk out on the conversation like last time, so that's good. That's good. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right, let's move on to some books, uh, because that's what we're here for, really. Yeah. Uh, was there any actual serious news though? I, I, you know, from movie news? I'm, I'm gonna say, I, you know, I'm gonna say maybe. But at the same time, I don't know that. I mean, Frank Chow walked out on Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah, that's um, actually... But that's been a couple weeks ago. That was just before San Diego Comic-Con started, so it's been about a couple weeks. But it is kind of an important thing, because why, why did he walk on that? Well, him and, uh, him and uh, the writer, Greg Rucka, Rucka talked some crap, and Chow didn't like it, and so that's pretty much in the game. Apparently, Rucka thought that Chow's covers, the variant covers, mind you, were too... Uh, I don't know if you'd say uh, cheesecakey or too. He thought they were too sexy. I guess let's forget the fact that the entire book is drawn the same way. I think the real truth is that Frank, at this point on the internet, is like a very stand against a soapbox type thing. I mean, he does all the little pinup pictures and does all the outrageous covers, basically making fun of people complaining about something that they have nothing to do with. Yeah. I mean, it all kind of started around whenever that. Uh, Spider Woman cover came out. There was the painted cover uh, by the artist who did some stuff for Playboy, whose name I don't remember. But all a whole bunch of soapboxers got all upset and stood up on their little soapbox. I can't believe you do a cover like that. Well, which amounted to nothing. I mean, again, it was a variant cover. It's a one in fifty. You don't like it, don't buy the book. So you you know you want to hurt the stores. Well, if the stores bought fifty copies to buy one of those copies, and that copy is still sitting in their store. Then, then you're a winner, I guess. But just like the Catwoman Zero, whenever we cried about the cover on it and they changed the cover but didn't change any of the interior. I like it just fine, but at the same time, if you don't read the book, shut the hell up. Yeah. No, that's true. There's, there's a certain amount of people who just complain that actually they don't even care. No. So, so why are you complaining? But whatever, you know. So the soapbox is for it, Rob. Yeah. Kick it over, you stand on it, you wave your arms around a little bit. I'm guilty on occasion. But yeah, Frank's done a bunch of those covers. They're, they're, and most of them are they're covers that are like commissions. So they're covers that he's done to, to, because he's an artist and that's what he does. They're awesome. I mean, you should look them up. They're great. But at the same time, they're all things that afterwards people freaked out for no freaking reason. Like there's one with Harley Quinn doing the same pose and the Joker and the two of them are talking to each other and she says something to the effect of, how long do I have to stay like this, Mr. J? And he says... Just until the internet breaks. And it's simply because of people throwing fits for no reason. So, apparently Rucka bought into the soapbox and cried a little bit. And so He's a good writer. I do like Greg Rucka just fine. Yeah. Like he's a good writer, but I think that you got on the wrong side of a fence for no reason. Like at all. If you're going to complain about the girl's costume, then maybe they should change the costume in the book. So, yeah, I guess get on it, guy. Because the costume inside's the same still. I'm not saying the girl can't wear pants. I'm just saying if the costume matches, then the costume matches. So what are you doing? Yeah, I I don't understand the the issue. But yeah, Greg Rucka. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about him several times. He's a fantastic writer. I'm just surprised sure. that he 
stuck his nose in this. And honestly, you know, it, it it's good on Chow, who's a phenomenal artist. Oh yeah, you know, good writer too. He he can you know he, he's not really being held back by anything from this. I don't you think know? so. It's just it's irritating that it that's behind the scenes stuff like this. Well, that's the thing in the first place is annoying. He's gonna have a book come out pretty soon from uh, Boom Comics, actually called Boundless, I mm-hmm. think. You guys should look for that. I think it comes out in September. Pretty sure. It's a five-part miniseries. He's doing art and writing it too. So okay. Anyway, but yeah, no, I, other than that, I can't think of anything else. Was actually like yeah, pop off the pages news by any means. Okay. I'm sure somebody got fired for something. Yeah. That's how the world works. <laughs> All right, let's go and start out with a little bit of the accused. Just to let you know, there will be spoilers. Uh, Rob, you want to tell us a story about, uh, I don't know, guys getting tried for things when they shoot people in the head? Yeah. All right. Well, if you haven't been paying attention to Civil War II... um, Where have you been? There's a lot of stuff going on in Marvel that is affected by this. And uh, sadly, I mean, the... You've, you've probably already heard about it. so And honestly, it seems to be the least controversial thing so far that's happened with Civil War II, mm. I guess. At least to me. But, uh, yeah, Hawkeye... Hawkeye killed Bruce Banner. Or at least may have killed Bruce Banner. Dun-dun-dun! Um, and so, uh, actually, the accused, the whole story is about... Hawkeye going to trial for the murder of Bruce Banner. And it kind of clarifies why he did it, what his position was in there. He had actually been told by Bruce that if he was to ever change, if he was ever to become the Hulk again, that he wanted Hawkeye to take care of him. Um, One of the big things that happens in the story is that Matt Murdock winds up being the prosecuting lawyer. And actually begin the whole story with him going to Hawkeye and basically saying, all right, well, we can plead you down to Mantu. You plead guilty. It's six years. You'll probably get four and off, or it's like ten years and six off with good behavior. It doesn't matter. And Hawkeye's like, no, I'm not going to take it. I don't want any deals. I don't want any side stuff. You know, I, I did this. I deserve it. And Matt's like, you don't understand. Like, I'm going for nothing less than, like, death penalty. I'm going to get to the needle. If you don't take this deal, and that's kind of where they, they leave it at the very beginning of the story. As we go, we start finding out that there's more intrigue going on with this case than not. The average person on the street feels like the Hulk was a monster, anyways. So Hawkeye was in the right. Killing him, you know, isn't an issue because the Hulk's been an issue for so long. The fill in the courtroom seems to always be going Matt's way. Like every time there's something that's brought up, you know, he, he gets the, the appropriate call. Well, as we start seeing into it, there's this lady that's working with Matt. Well, she's pulling strings behind the court to arrange for um, Hawkeye to, to be found guilty. And when, di- when it's done, she's going to try to get the. Uh, Superhuman Registration Act re reassigned, and it's going to begin a thing again. So just like what we had with Civil War One, we're going to have this, you know, this other division using Hawkeye, you know, as a, as a hero who killed a hero, 
as grounds for like we need to have control of these people. They need to have you licensed as a catalyst. Yeah, like somehow that would make a difference. Evidently, she feels that way. Yeah. Big thing is that she made it known to at least one person within Matt's earshot that he she could control Matt. The big thing for Matt Murdock is is when he starts hearing about this, he knows that the trial is is bum. You know, he's going to win, or he might win, but it's not a fair trial. It's not an honest trial at all. Right, well... And so, you know, from there on, like, he, he doesn't try to tank the case, but he, like, starts making it so that the prosecution gets more more stuff in for defense, so that the jury can have a better chance of actually seeing the whole picture. Right. Now, I mean, the outcome of this is more... It's more about where you kind of stand on, on how responsible Hawkeye is. Sure. And, you know, ultimately where you fall on this new character, Ulysses' future site. But it was a pretty cool story. It's not an action story. It's, it's mostly just about the, the you know, kind of relationship between... Hawkeye and regular people and Matt Murdock's ideals of what justice should be. Sure. In a way, it harkens back to issue zero. From the Civil War? Yeah. With the, yeah, with the She-Hulk court case, the way yeah. it opened up. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it kind of goes back to that. Yeah, but, I mean, if it's going to start that way and this is what leads him to it, at least it's a slightly different thing than what happened. I mean, it's very similar to Civil War One. Or just civil war. Granted, it wasn't a bus full of kids that got blown up by a villain, but it's it, it's been a minute trying to figure out how we're going to pinpoint this thing. But yeah, it's all it seems to be about morality and how you feel about particular parts of it. Because the She-Hulk case is all about the criminal who is being persecuted for having done nothing, but you will run his mouth. So a guy who was guilty before, because he was a criminal before, right? And ultimately, he gets thrown back in jail for doing nothing. And he gets killed in jail for whatever reason. So I'm sure we're going to come back probably to that for something. But this is just like another piece sort of like that. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, go ahead. All right, um, I didn't do this earlier, unfortunately, but uh, we have writing is Mark Guggenheim. And then we have a combination of artists with Raymond Batch and Gary Brown. Score-wise, Rob, book, book score? You know, honestly, I, I'm not wild about the art for the story, but the story itself was really, really well done. So I'm going to give it a three. I enjoyed the story a lot. Sure. But it's not one that I would have initially jumped on. I think if you're if you're wanting to get a little bit more depth into the Civil War II, it's a worthwhile pickup for, for a one-issue deal. Sure. Um, yeah, I thought you can give it a three also. I mean, like you said, I don't think these pieces are going to be something we get revealed anywhere else, probably, which is probably why it's a standalone the way it is. So if this winds up being the real catalyst to force everything else to move forward, well, you missed out by missing it. But if you're a fan of the Hawkeye character, you're a fan of the Matt Murdock character, especially with the new show and like the stuff from Netflix going on, this is definitely a good piece for that. So... Yeah, I give it three also. All right. Well, let's move on to the Flintstones. 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 There you go. This is number two Flintstones from uh, DC Comics and Hanna-Barbera. I guess it's just DC, but Hanna-Barbera property. Like 
guess. Yeah. I'm not really sure how that all works out, really. <laughs> uh, anyway, it's uh, written by uh, Mark Russell, and the uh, art is by uh, Steve Pugh. Um, wow. I didn't put that together in my head at all. Oh, who it was? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Hotwire. Yeah. Crazy, right? If you guys ever saw, there's a company called Radical Comics for a while. They did a book called Hotwire. Steve Pugh uh, was connected to that, uh, so you should really look it up because it's fantastic. Yeah, also, Animal Man at the beginning of New 52. Oh, that's right, yeah. yeah. New 52 Animal Man. anything like that. Uh, very different. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, so Flintstones starts off, and it, this is a, it's basically a modernization of... Well, maybe not modernization. It's a retelling of the classic show but with modern technology. So same way that the Flintstones originally was, because they had TVs and they had sh all these different things that were like connected to the time frame it was, like the 80s, 70s, 80s. Okay. So this is just that again, um, but instead of having, you know, the box TV with, they've got the flat screen TV on the wall, and it's the first TV broadcast, and all these new things are coming on. Then this particular storyline is, uh, it, it's, it's, I don't know, I think, I think it's very episode-centric. Basically, episode's dealing with, uh, I mean, the title, that, the title of the issue is Buyer Beware, and basically all it's really doing is looking at us as a people in general and the way we collect crap is pretty much what it is. So it's a... It, like, it's about whether or not we need the things that we buy. Right. Which, so, I don't know, it's basically just a slant on the human condition is what it is. Yeah. Um, it's, it's written well, though. I mean, the art's pretty. The art's good. I mean, as far as a, a read's concerned, it's fun. I mean, we start out with uh, Betty and... Uh, Betty and Barney, and they've got their new TV, and the first TV play, first TV cast comes on, and Fred's over there visiting, and uh, the TV turns on, and first Fred decides he wants to smash it, because there's a man talking to him in the wall. Yeah, it's a demon wall. Demon wall. And uh, so the two of them explain to him, oh, no, no, it's a TV. And so he talks to the TV as the TV talks to him, which, depending on who you are, some people still do that. Um, and basically, they're talking about how there's this new fad in town called crap. People are buying crap. And basically, we go through and we see a bunch of different appliances, and we find out there's a record store, and all these little nudges to modern things in, in the Stone Age fashion. Uh, so Fred winds up buying himself a super goat. No, a power goat. Power goat. Um, which, if the name didn't tell you, it's basically a lawnmower that's a goat. It is freaking hilarious. It really is. And so, I mean, he goes through his normal day, and as he goes through the day, he winds up finding out... Well, crap's expensive, and he wants to keep Wilma happy, and so he's afraid that he's going to have to do something else job-wise. And we get a slant on religion a little bit in here, too, because they all go to church, and we wanted the church to just a couple guys figuring out ways to make money and have a religion, whether it's praying to a stupid name God that's a record, or a bird, or whether it be praying to a, an elephant which turns out later to be a vacuum, and then later to an empty chair. So, I mean, you take that for what you want it to. I mean, <laughs> it depends on how you feel about the religion thing, I guess. As if it's a thing. Anyway, uh, so before we get too political about things, uh, but yeah, Wilma gets herself a, uh, a new uh, dishwasher, which if you've seen the show ever, then you know the dishwasher is an octopus. And Fred and Barney go to the watering hole, because, well, you know, Fred's not good at using the new appliances and can't make the bird open his can for him. And while they're down there, he's talking to Barney. He's like, oh, Barney, i got to figure out a way to make more money to keep Wilma happy, blah, 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 blah. And they run into a guy who wants him to sell pills. So pyramid scheme-style stuff. Uh, not necessarily pills, I guess, clovers. 
And so, of course, Fred and Barney both buy into it. Everybody loves buying crap. They're vitamins. Vitamins, right. Yeah. Pyramid scheme. Because it plays into later... Pyramid scheme. <sighs> anyway, so uh, they both go on to sell their vitamins, and Fred's all about getting it done, and Barney's like, I'm going to go home and rest, Fred. And uh, the entire time that the guy's setting them up, he's like, you got to find an edge. You know, you got to find a way to sell these things to people. And Fred's like, well, if they're vitamins, people need them. People just buy them because they need them. But the guy's like, no, 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 you, you can pretend to be a war vet. I mean, you got those war vet eyes. And he looks at Barney, and he's like, this one can pretend to be brain damaged because Barney's got a stupid face. Anyway, as uh, so you move forward a little bit more, and uh, Fred tries to do his vitamin selling, so he's working in the quarry at night, or during the day, and at night going around selling his vitamins. And he's having no luck. Well, eventually we catch up with uh, with Barney, and this is after the whole fiasco with the vacuum cleaner being the new god. And uh turns out Barney's doing real well. But uh, for those who remember the show, Barney's got a son named Bam Bam, who has unnatural super strength. And so Barney basically used that as a catalyst, as his gimmick, to sell his clovers. Because he would basically tell people that the kid took the clovers, and now the kid's lifting cars. So, of course, everybody's buying Barney's, and he's doing great. Whereas Fred, you know, not so much. And, of course, Fred freaks out, because that's what Fred Flintstone does. Uh, basically cries to Wilma about not being able to make enough money and keep her happy, and she's going to leave him. And she's like, no, no, Fred, all that matters is people. So it's a very human condition type book. Um... I'm not, you're not getting any super revelations from this thing, unless, of course, you don't understand how the human condition works. Depending on how you emotionally feel about things in life, maybe it'll help you feel better about the world. It is a fun book. It was a fun read. Um, I, I would give it a th- I'd give it a three. I mean, the art's great. The story, like I said, is fun. But as far as that, I mean, me personally, I don't believe in anything, so it makes it real hard for me to believe in this book. Not as a book itself, but as a moral compass. And now I feel bad for saying that. But I give it a three. It's a good book, good read. Uh, you should really check out issue one. Issue one's pretty awesome. They have a whole hot tub party thing going on in there. Fan-freaking-tastic. So as far as fun comic books, it's a fun comic book. Mm-hmm. So if you want to have fun when you read, there you go. Um, so I, I give it a... I'd actually give it a three and a half. Um, yeah, I, I really like the artwork. I never made the connection that it was, that was pure. So that's that's awesome. Um... The important thing for me, like, when I was looking at Flintstones, I was like, oh, gosh, I don't, I don't want to read these books. Because, like, I was thinking, like, oh, okay, it's going to be like Simpsons, it's going to be like Futurama, it's going to be, you know, this is an extension of the car- of the cartoon. And it's not going to be something that is, like, a, a challenging reader and makes you think about anything. This book is fun, but it does challenge, like, uh, I guess your sensibilities, maybe? Sure. It, and and it, it plays... It plays at a higher level, which is kind of funny because that's what those Flintstones originally were supposed to be. We think of it as like kid cartoon now, but at the time it was actually challenging some of society. And that's sort of what we got going on in here. Yeah, I can agree with that. Um, funniest thing for me, though, is Fred freaking out with the, the vitamins and throwing them at the kid. And he's like, hey, don't you believe in vitamins? Because I grew up with the, the Flintstone vitamins and which stuff. Which is why it's hilarious. Yeah, it's hilarious. Again, me. super fun book. Don't yeah. take my own personal skew on life as a reason to not want this book. Because That's, it's awesome. Surprisingly enough, Flintstones, it's legit. And it is a funny book. And it's not going to make you, like, you're not going to read it and feel like, eh, well, now I'm dumber. <laughs> Right. It's not like as legit <laughs> as like Ninja Turtles or anything. When I tell people these things, they look at me funny. But like, 
it's it's a legit book. Yeah. You know? It's it's actually really well done, I think. It is it is fun. Yeah. Anyway, um so yeah, if you haven't checked that one out, you really should. Uh, issue one and two are the ones that are out. They've got multiple covers. Uh, Amanda Connors is doing a batch of the covers and you have several other artists on it that are good, so good stuff. And won't I mean the whole cast they are modernized versions of them, but they look cool. Yeah. I don't know about Pebble's hair, but you know, hey. That's a little weird. It is a little weird. Yeah, but they're they're going with her very like emo team now. Right, right. Yeah. Um so uh let's see. Let's move on to let's see, book wise, I think we're supposed to do Lady Killer next. Yeah. Let's do Lady Killer. Okay. All right. So Lady Killer. This is Lady Killer two, Volume Two. Um, this is by uh, Joelle Jones, uh, fantastic lady. We did an interview. I did, I did an interview with her two years ago in Denver. Um, we were actually set booth. My booth is next to her booth uh, over in Artist Alley. So I got to, got to chit chat with her a little bit. She's a fun lady. She's awesome. Pretty. She's nice. Anyway, um, other books she's worked on Helheim. Um, she did a recently a batch of uh, Spider Woman, a couple random fill-in ones like for a crossover. But anyway, Art's fantastic is what I'm trying to tell you, people. It, yeah. She is badass. That was the most excited I've been for that Spider Woman series, which is sad. I think since it started. But yeah, that's true. Um, anyway, this is another five part, kind of like the first one, uh, which should be available again hopefully soon. If your stores don't have it, ask them to order it because it's supposed to be being reissued. So. Uh, anyway, we open up uh, bookwise, and uh, we've got our 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 main lady killer, um, basically running a Tupperware party. And now you, you got to remember, timeline wise, this is set uh, in late fifties, mid sixties. I mean, uh, era wise, I don't think she actually gives us a date on this one, but timeline wise, it's around the same as the other book was. So as far as as far as that, the Tupperware is a new thing. And this is like they used to do Tupperware parties, just like people do, I don't know, homewarming parties or whatever it is now, candle parties. Think, Same idea. Yeah, I think they still do some Tupperware parties and stuff. Maybe. Parties and stuff. I don't know how common that is anymore. Like, yeah. it, I mean, it used to be. It used to be a thing. Yeah, it used to be a thing, but I don't, I don't really think it is anymore. But like the whole Tupperware party thing, I, I'm gonna say it was a lot more commonplace back then because it was a new product. Whereas now it's in every store in the world. So, uh, anyway, Josie, um, who's uh, our main our main character, so she's in a dress. And she looks. She's. I mean, look wise, she's always looked very. Uh, I don't know. I, I guess I would say like uh, John F. Kennedy's wife. Yeah, I was thinking of her like Jackie. Jackie, Jackie O. Kennedy. Yeah, I would say she looks. Yeah, she looks very Jackie Oe. If that is even a way to say anything at all, because I don't actually think that it is. <laughs> Anyway, uh, Josephine's there, and she's the Tupperware party ends. And of course, she when she closes the Tupperware party, she asks if anybody wants to buy a Tupperware. And of course, these are all a bunch of stuck-up ladies, a couple older older gals that the entire time were talking about how the who the nephew's not going to inherit anything because of his position in life, and he's going to have to work real hard if they're going to leave him anything in the will. And she's just a couple like rotten old ladies. Um, whose husbands are dead, and so now they just pick on everybody else in the world because they're both rotten old ladies. Um, anyway, everybody just leaves the party, and uh, the two old women both uh, give her the dirty eye while she's cleaning up the party, and of course she thanks them for letting her throw the party, and the uh, the more nasty of the two is like, we're supposed to get a, we're supposed to get a, a prize for having thrown this party, because so, basically they provide the house to host it. So the hosting family is supposed to get 
given a, I don't know, a souvenir, a parting gift or something, and they let her use their home to show off the, the, the Tupperware. Well, um, as you can expect with the name of the title, that leads to a nasty old lady dying in the toilet, um, which, I mean, it, it does go better than the way I described it just now. I mean, she was, it is pretty awesome, actually. Uh, but the entire time we have this going on with this inner monologue plan for Josie, where since now she's she's separate from the company, which she's working for bef from before, she's working as her own contract person, is what I get from all of it. But as she goes through and deals with these things, uh, she basically hammers the, the lady to death. That also sounds bad the way I said it. But yeah, it, it, it's awesome. And then from there, uh, she takes out the other old nasty lady and works on taking them apart and cleaning the house. And uh, before she kills the uh, first one, she lets her know that the, the, the godson or the grandson, I can't remember what he is, the relative they were talking trash about, sends his regards. So she's been hired by the would-be inheritor, they were both saying wasn't going to get anything because they're rotten old ladies, uh, to take them out. And uh, so she goes about her path doing that, and the entire time going through the steps you have to do to run your own business. And it's the way it's written is really awesome. It's very, like... Little pieces here about how you have to do certain things, and then she's like, oh, well, I guess I'm going to have to dispose of these bodies a little different, and then out comes a hacksaw, which is just awesome. And it's fantastic. It's so great, dude. Anyway, she loads everything into her, uh, into her, to her car, and she's trying to decide what to do with the bodies. Well, she had the Tupperware with her, so she puts the body pieces in the Tupperware in her trunk. Hey, she had the Tupperware with her. Why not use it? Anyway, well, that leaves her back home, and uh, they've relocated city-wise, depending how merit, how much of the first book you read and what you remember from it. Now they're in uh, uh, Cocoa Beach, so they moved to Florida. And uh, at the end of the other series, we had a run-in with uh, her husband's mother, who uh, learned some secrets that, uh, well, they're the kind of secrets that Josie should probably have killed her for. But uh, now they're living with Grant with Mom, um, and Mom, of course, had a really bad attitude. So, uh, Josie's talking to her, gets home, you know, talks to her husband. The husband's like, you should go have a gal pal wow with, or how does he say it? You should have a, a gal pal wow with Mom, because she's feeling upset about things. And I really think if the two of you could connect, it would make things a lot better. Well, of course, Mom doesn't want that. Mom wants to expose her and cause all kinds of problems. Anyway, in the process of that, we have a dinner, dinner party, uh, meet the boss, um, her husband's boss. And uh, she lets the husband know she wasn't able to pick up the golf clubs. She got lost in the drive home, which, of course, we know is a lie. And she tells him she'll go pick up the golf clubs tonight after dinner. And so they have the dinner party. Uh, the boss and the wife, his overly flirty, overly attractive younger wife, both leave. And she goes off to pick up the golf clubs, which is actually to lead her to a next job. And uh, we get a little more explanation of how to be a hit person uh, while that's happening. And then we have a, a catch closing, so I'll, I'll leave it there, so that way there's a piece to look forward at the end. Uh, but book-wise, it's pretty entertaining. I mean, it's, it's fun. I could easily see this turn into a TV show, even if it was a Netflix show, which would be fine. As far as, like, setup is concerned, the character's interesting enough. I mean, it has similarities to other type murder-for-hire characters. I mean, not, not like there's a slew of them, but hiding your, hiding your normal identity and your keeping your night job a secret isn't the most unheard of thing. I mean, that's what all superheroes do. So, As far as the setup's concerned, the way that the shows are going right now, 
I could easily see this fit in a lineup with any of those Netflix shows, like, right next to him. I mean, yeah, it's a tricky place to paint her as an awesome character, and Joelle is great, because she's great. Because you'd kind of be able to hate her real easy. I mean, I mean, she's a killer girl, so... Anyway, um, I give it a four. I, I definitely did the book. I, the art's fantastic, again. Um, I lo love the first volume. If you haven't checked it out, you really should. Uh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> That's all I can say about it, because it's great. It, it, this one's new maybe about three weeks ago, I think. So mm -hmm. issue two should be coming out maybe another week and a half. Uh, I do know Diamond still has copies available, so talk to your vendor or your comic book retailer, because they can still order it, and they should. Anyway, uh, so yeah, give it a four. Rob, score book, you go. Okay. I'd probably follow suit. I'll go ahead and give it a four as well. Uh, the nice thing for this is that it, even though it's a volume two, you can actually just start right here and you'll be fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, as far as like knowledge about the previous book and whatnot, it, they lay things out pretty plainly to explain how things fit. Um, so, yeah, if you didn't read the first volume, you could pick this one up and move forward from there. Pretty easy. You wouldn't be... Yeah, there's not really any reason not to. I mean, as far as stories are concerned, you can tell she's done this before, so... And in the dialogue, the way they explain things, you could... Yeah, you could skip number one and just move forward if you wanted to. But, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I think it's a great series. Uh, so, at least a very strong start for this part. Heck yeah, so... Excited to see issue two. Yeah. Well, all right. Uh, so let's move on to another set of uh, killer types. Uh, we got Spider-Man Deadpool number seven, and uh, Spider-Man Deadpool number seven—it's it, a middle break between the main story that's been happening from one through five. So six and seven had a guest writer, guest artist. This guy is a throwback. The way they advertise at the very beginning is kind of freaking hilarious. Cause it has a letter to the editor type thing in the, in the interior of it. Um, as far as uh, writer-artist, writer we're talking about Jerry Duggan, uh, who did a whole lot of the uh, Brian Pesaint run. Him and the two of them wrote the series before, and he wrote Deadpool before that. And he wrote Thunderbolts. So he's no no new new person to the style of writing Deadpool. And then we got art by uh, Scott Koblish, who we had an interview from back in, uh, God, man, was it July? It was during the San Jose Con, so maybe... No, before July. It was like March, maybe? Maybe. Yeah, March, maybe. Anyway, uh, really cool guy also. Um, so if you listen to the show, you've, you've, you've heard him and heard me talk to him. Anyway, the letter of the editor basically explains to us that, uh, or from the editor, basically explains to us, the reader, that this is uh, a one-off because the other book's not done. And uh, what they've done is they dig into the archives to find some of the old, original Deadpool appearances. This is the very first appearance for Spider-Man and Deadpool together, ever. It's supposed to be like a 1963 book. So, uh, long before... No, 1968 is when it was supposed to be from. But it was a book that never got printed. So, it, the style of art for it is that old-school style, 60... Like, late 60s, early 70s press. Even the coloring is that style. So, it's very throwback-esque art. <laughs> and the way it opens up, we've got J.J. Uh, Jameson and... He's uh, being hounded by another by another businessman about how the, the, the businessman is super upset at him because he doesn't like what he's publishing in the paper because they're right in the middle of Vietnam happening and we got to get these boys to go join Vietnam. We can't have all this civil uprising and dang hippies and blah, 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 blah. Anyway, so J.J.'s, the guy threatens to pull his advertising for J.J.'s paper and that makes J.J. flip out and he's like, oh, I'm going to send Parker in Leeds. Okay. Or photographer, writer type. 
So he sends, so he sends the two of them off to this uh, peaceful protest that's happening at a... So we got a guy running for con. It, it really parallels current time, actually, because right now we have the whole uh, Hillary and Trump thing going on. And so it, what's happening is we've got a guy who's running for, who running for political office, and hey, he's against the war effort, and he's going to do all this stuff to change the, change the war. And, of course, our businessman wants the war to happen because it's big money to, for war to be happening. And so... Uh, J.J. sends the boys down there, and we hear all this rhetoric from our current politician, and the way he talks is not exactly Trumpy, but it, it's kind of that way. Very like a milder version of him, but he, he's not out of the park wrong idea-wise. Well, it leads us to Deadpool, who's being hired to cause civil unrest, where Spider-Man, or Peter Parker, is currently down there taking photos and helping leads with his story about the protest. Which JJ and the businessman are both hoping will be a terrible mess so they can show all these protesters are so evil and drive up cells and more more work to the war effort and stuff. Well, we wanted to find out between A and B that not only has Deadpool been hired, but uh, they also hired uh, Mysterio. And of course, the way this is written, I mean, as things happen, of course, Deadpool is just hilarious and he talks as if things that are modernly, modernly happening are happening at the same time here. So, like, he makes comments about how much he likes Spider-Man's... He likes Spider-Man better when he was Doc Ock's hand puppet. Which is alluding to the idea of when Doc Ock was Superior Spider-Man was happening, which is freaking hilarious. Uh, anyway, um, so we find out Mysterio's mecked up in it, and the whole plan is Mysterio's going to impersonate the political leader, or the political um, candidate, and then give a terrible speech and get him booted out of the party and... That'll drive forward what the businessmen want. And it, as as Peter's out there with leads and they're both running around, like, taking photos of the entire protest, which is going fine. I mean, it's not out of control or anything. And they're both like, man, there's really nothing right about here. Well, next thing you know, here comes this, like, hippie-looking dude out of nowhere. And he's like, enough chanting. It's time for action. Get the pigs. And so next thing you know, he's smacking down cops everywhere. Well... That leads Spider-Man to have to jump into action. Of course, he makes some comments about how it's just great that J.J. doesn't have glasses because he noticed that Peter's pictures were always from 25 stories up and slightly blurry. Talk about his Spider-Man pictures. Anyway, so he goes down and starts fighting the uh, <laughs> the lone hippie protester. And he's like, oh, i got to make sure to pull my punches so I don't kill this guy. Well, he punches him and then his face basically starts coming is coming off his head. And so Peter freaks out. He's like, oh my god, I think I killed him. Well, then he realizes it's a rubber mask and it's Deadpool underneath the rubber mask, of course. And the two of them fight for a second. Um, and then Peter gets the story from Deadpool what's happening, because that's how Deadpool works. Uh, anyway, things move forward a little bit more, not to spoil the entire book, because there's a lot of really good jokes in here. Um, we'll fast forward just a little bit past some of that stuff and get to the uh, closer to the end. So we get to the uh, pro or the the speech is going to be made, and it's Mysterio's replaced the other candidate, and he's out there, and the stuff he's saying is very, it's very Donald Trumpy, man. Like it really is. So it, that stuff's pretty. It, it's pretty funny the way it's written, but it's like stuff that's ridiculous. And uh, of course, in the mean between the two points, Deadpool's finally decided he doesn't like the idea so much of Mysterio being hired underneath him in order to make sure things go the way that businessmen want. So even though Deadpool is still getting paid to cause the civil unrest, 
he likes hitting people, so he decides to help Spider-Man take out the bad guys, or the two uh, would-be uh, politician types. So basically, it turns into a team-up, and Spider-Man webs him up, and he's writing a note for the cops. Friendly neighbor with Spider-Man. Here's what you need to do with these guys. And Deadpool comes over, and he basically cuts them down. He's like, they have too much money to go to jail. They have too much money to get in trouble. There's nothing going to happen to them, because they have too much money, Peter Parker. Or not Peter Parker, Spider-Man. And that, of course, leads to the two of them punching it out, which is pretty freaking hilarious. And the entire time, like, at one point, towards the middle, like, Peter asks Deadpool... Well, not Peter. Spider-Man asked Deadpool, how much are you making to do this? He's like, oh, a couple couple grand. And he's like, oh, that'd be for Aunt May's rent and all of her money and all of her pills and medicine for the next year. Oh, I can't think about that now because being Spider-Man and being a good guy is such a good good thing. I can't think about that now. And the end of this book is like, it leads to the next harrowing story where what happens when Aunt May's medicine gets switched with uh, Harry Osborn's pills and you got both the pictures of Harry and and her at the bottom corner looking crazy and pills everywhere. Just, it, it's funny. I mean, it's, it's Deadpool hilarity. After this one, 8 goes back to the regular storyline that we were doing from the beginning, so the first 5 continue forward. But book-wise, it, it's a really fun read, which, the, if you're not reading it for fun, then I don't know why you're reading it, because that's the whole point. Um, Score-wise, I mean, I give it a 3.5 to 3.7. A 375? Screw it, we'll give it a 4. I mean, art is ridiculously old-school art, but that's the point. So if you don't get the joke, it's because you're not trying. So book-wise, yeah, I give it a, I give it, a, I give it, a, you, you know, what, I give it a four. I mean, I, I really, book-wise, I like it a lot. I like Lady Killer better, but it's just because Lady Killer stories more intrigue, I guess, or more, I don't know, maybe more murder. I don't know what my problem is. Whatever, I give it a four. I'm, I'm done. Rob, you score the book. God. <laughs> Yeah, I, I give it a three, three point five. It's the only thing that hurts this book is that it came in the in between the story that they were telling before. You know, it's actually it's a pretty fun book, like what they did with Pasein, where they tried to wrap the idea that Deadpool's been around forever into the stories. It, it's the same deal, right? And it's and it's a fun little break book. You know, um, the the downside is it's sandwiched between. Colossal artist. Well, so. Ed McGinnis and the, the first five issues are all connected together, and they've been so good. I, I'll give you that. It is it is an offshoot. So if you're reading the regular story, not paying attention, and then you see you missed issue seven or issue six, if it's issue six is going to make you wonder what the hell was going on. But read that first letter page. The the whole I give you. I usually skip that stuff because the the first page. What happened last time on Deadpool? Like TV shows do. Yeah. Well, that's kind of what that letter page is on there, and it's a—it's like a, the way the picture looks, it looks like a letter that you would get on the page from the editor. So it's like it's—it's it's classic like old school Marvel nonsense. Hey kids, if you weren't paying attention, by the way, everybody died, and here we go. You know, it's that kind of thing. I don't know. If, like, like I said, if you don't enjoy this one, it's because you don't get it. If you don't get it, why? Well, I, I don't know what you're doing reading the series, I guess, because that's the whole point. It's just ridiculous. True enough. It's enough of that. <laughs> Spider-Man Deadpool 7. Freaking great. You're not going to learn to draw anything from it unless you're trying to draw old books, but it's great. Well, and Scott did a, he did an awesome job with it, man. The whole thing looks... It, could yeah, it have been really a book from back then? If it wasn't for Deadpool running his mouth so modernly, yes. Yeah, probably. Easily. I mean, the way that Mysterio's drawn, 
the way Spider-Man is drawn, like, just the way it looks, is very, no, it fits completely. So it wasn't for Deadpool, oh, at one point he's grafted to a horse? That's not something that would happen back then. It just wouldn't. No. Anyway, uh, that's enough about Spider-Man Deadpool. So, uh, yeah. Good stuff. Fantastic. Oh, uh, Rob, you want to tell me a story about Batman? The the All-Star Batman? I don't see why not. Number one. Yeah, um, this is written by Scott Snyder and art by John Romano Jr. Dun, dun, dun. So, uh, we actually begin this story at kind of a small-time drive-in somewhere outside of Gotham. He means not like a drive-in movie, but like a diner. Drive-in diner, yeah. So there you go. We kind of see some people eating, and uh, the place kind of erupts into battle as uh, Firefly and Killer Moth come smashing through the window with Batman. And they basically tell everybody in the diner they're going to kill him, and we kind of get Batman having this kind of awesome moment where he tells baby, pretty much everybody in the diner, like, no, you're not going to die. You just listen to me. Even like Winston. Yeah, there's, there's an awesome panel where he's like, look at my face, is what he says, and no one's going to die today. And then there's a whole, like, one shot just for him to do the wink at the people. Awesome. But he handles uh, Killer Mouth and uh, Firefly pretty easily. And then he immediately gets attacked by another villain who's kind of new in this story. Um... It's called Black Spider, which actually could be kind of a cool character. He's almost like if you take Spider-Man and Doc Ock and you jam them together. Yeah, he's yeah he, he does look like a Spider-Man Doc Ock hybrid. Yeah, which makes sense for J.R.J.R. considering he drew so much Spider-Man. Yeah, not bad. You know, honestly, yeah. hey, if you need a, if you need a, a low-rent goon for Spider-Man that's, or Batman, that's the way to go. Yeah, he's a gun-toting, gun-wielding guy with multiple yeah octopus <laughs> arms with guns. And at this moment, that's that's what. You know, a lot of the story's about. Right. Um, but we kind of start finding out the whole meat of this story is that Two-Face has surfaced again, and he's caused so much problems that the mob has kind of rolled on him, Penguin's kind of rolled on him, and long story short, after a assault on, our, on Gotham with acid rain, which has caused a lot of people to have you know, burns, at least, for, for the moment, Two-Face is captured. Right. Now, evidently, at some point, Two-Face reached out to Batman. Now, Two-Face knows Batman's identity. Right, well, and Harvey, Harvey and Two-Face know that Bruce Wayne and Batman are the same dude. Yeah. And they, the way they've been playing him up lately, especially with that series before with the, the Batman and, they, they play it up in a way that it's almost like they're two different personalities in the same body. And while Harvey doesn't seem to have full knowledge of whatever Two-Face is doing. Two-Face seems to be able to read Harvey pretty easy. And it, it make it sound like they're two separate personalities, and at this point, Two-Face is the stronger of the two, probably. That's what started back then, during that story, too. So that's like, I don't know, two years ago, probably? Right yeah. after the death of Damien? Yeah, somewhere in there. Well, fairly close after death of Damien. Anyway, uh, doesn't... Yeah, matters, but doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, moving forward. Um... But Harvey is trying to convince Bruce that it's got to stop. That Two-Face has to die. 
and so he needs to take him to this house. And he'll know what it is and, and put it into Two-Face. And so Batman's whole goal this time is to take Two-Face to this house, which is evidently beyond Gotham City borders. Right. Well, unbeknownst to Batman, before he took him out of Gotham, Harvey had left this big message out, and it's gotten to the social media and on the on the well, uh, two two phase. Yeah, two, I'm sorry, two phase. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's gotten to the news media. It's basically, two phase saying, "You know what? I've got I've got dirt on you, and you know that I have dirt on you. If I get if I'm taken out of Gotham and I get to this destination, I'm going to release all of it." I'm going to release everything I know, every bit of information. It's going to go on the web, it's going to go on TV, it's going to go on the dark web. Everything. Every piece of anything he has clout-wise over anybody. Yeah, it's going to be revealed. And if I don't have dirt on you, I'll just give you, like, the bulk sum of the three families of Gotham's money. The three crime families, yeah. All you got to do is stop me from getting to this location or kill Batman. And I'll pay you the money. I'll pay you the money. Or I'll give you the secrets. Yeah. So it's, it's one of the other things. So if you kill Batman and get, or get me, break me away from Batman, because Batman's got him captured, right? Yeah. So yeah, that, that's the whole thing. Like, either you can have the money or you can have the secrets. So depending on who you are, that's a lot of money. Yeah. And that's what he's banking on, so. Now, they kind of tell the story in different time frames. So prior to his attack by Killer Moth and um, Firefly. We have this whole conversation again with Two-Face and Batman in the Batwing. Right. And uh, a little bit after Batman sees the uh, the news release, you know, the Batwing starts having problems and winds up having to crash land. Something's got into the system and hacked it up and, and ruined it. Which leaves Batman to question who could do that, because it's a closed system. It had to be somebody who was connected to the Bat group that did this. Right. right. But uh, we catch up with Batman again, dealing with Black Spider, and we kind of have like some really cool scenes that I mean, you just gotta. You have to see him. You gotta see him to go for it. People who don't like Ramada, like this book, might actually change your opinion of that because he does a great job of it. Oh yeah, it looks good. Yeah, I think probably. The only, you know, he, he does a great job of doing Batman and all these villains and characters look really well done. He does, he's gotten a little bit of further away from kind of some of the blocky stuff he'd done in the past. So. I think it depends on who he's drawing. Like, I still hate his Thor, but this book I like. Yeah. Like, all of it. So yeah, he's done a good job of it. His Two-Face looks good. His, his, his Alfred looks good. Yeah. The random citizens look good. Batman looks good. So, yeah, art-wise, it, it's, there's, there's folks that, there's, that I've, I've heard say... They has a very Lego-esque drawing because everything's square, but that's not true. No. And I'll give you, there is some stuff that looks that way, but this particular book doesn't have that problem. No. And at the base of it, the art is good. So, anyway, go on. But um, we kind of start seeing how how far people will fall. Uh, Two faces, you know, he's, he's dangled this carrot in front of people. And a lot of the heart of this book is what what perception is. Um, Two-Face sees the world as always hiding itself. And the only true face that the world has is, is ugly. It's evil. And it lies to you about 
you know, its goodness and its kindness, those, those are false faces. Um, and in a way, he's almost wanting to do this to prove to Batman how, how rotten people are. Because Batman actually wants to see the light in people, which is funny for such a dark character. But it's about it's, it's kind of part of Batman's premises, so that he actually can see the light in in people, not in you know, his villains. He but, wants to see the good in people. Yeah. Whether where, whether whether it's there or not, he wants to see the good. Where whereas Two Face doesn't see it, and he's trying to push Batman into that same corner. It seems like in this story. Um. But we're gonna go ahead and leave some of this stuff. To uh, well, you to need to you really reading the book. Yeah, you yeah. really need to read it. I mean, book wise, it, it's really good. And if you liked any of the previous fifty-two Batman stuff, the regular Batman series, it's, it's Snyder. It's the same dude that read all that stuff. So, yeah. and I'll give you, I I am one that doesn't like preordained or preordained stuff where self fulfilling prophecy. I'm not really a fan of. It makes me mad. So I'm worried that this might go that way, but book-wise, this issue is great. Mm-hmm. So there's there's also this kind of cool um, backup story in the back of it. Yeah, that was pretty good. And it's kind of building a relationship with Duke and Batman. I don't know whether I like where they're going with this relationship that they have. Um, I definitely don't like some of the wording that they use, but it sounds to me like this backup story is kind of building. Uh, this this idea that Batman has always put his protégés through a level of hell that was close to his to see if they could make it or they would break. And they kind of hint at there being uh, somebody who was broken. Right. You know, this, this is testing, we'll see if you're a hero or a villain or what. And so, I don't know, I, I think this backup story... Although it seems to be like a Zaz caper, is is kind of alluding to somebody that Batman was close to who fell, who went the other way. Because we've already seen, you know, Tim and and Dick and Jason and Damien, you know, they're pretty much on the right side of things. Yeah, for the most part. You know, Jason questionable, but. So it kind of alludes to this idea that there might be somebody who who didn't make it. Yeah, it's yeah. I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see what they do with that. It also is building out a little bit more on Duke, since they seem to be determined to like shove Duke into our face and saying like, oh no, he's going to be a part of it, more so than Damien now. We'll see. Um, more so than Harper Row. That's true. Yeah. Can't get away from the Duke. We're trying. We're trying something different. <laughs> Shut up. Score for the book, Rob. Go. <laughs> I I definitely give it a four. I I like it. I think Romero's artwork is fantastic for it. I still like Scott Snyder. That being said, there's things that I I read this book and it didn't blow me away. And I maybe I expected too much from it. I I also don't feel like it follows very closely to what we've established for Two Face. He feels different in this book. He feels more manipulative. And he feels like his plans are more like a Joker than they are like Two-Face. I see that, yeah. You know, in releasing the information the way he did. Uh, I'm a little sad to see the weird Mecha Knight suit on Killer Moth, because I kind of like the, the New 52 design for him. But, hey, we're using Killer Moth, so that's cool. <laughs> right. Um, 
But as for like a Batman story, I think it's great. I love the action to it. I love the the way the story played out. Um, I just I also feel like there's a missed opportunity. Like I would have liked to have seen the caper that led up to Two Face's capture, and maybe we're going to play that out in this disjointed way of telling a story that they're doing in this book. But it almost feels like it's disjointed in a lazy way to me, and that's just that's just me. I overall I enjoyed the book. I thought it was a really well done story, and, I, and I'm, I'm excited to see where it goes. And I like Two Face a lot, so you know, I got to stick around. All right. Um, well, yeah, I give it I give it a give it a four and a half. I mean, it's it's written really well. Um, the disjointness that like what you're seeing that's past and present at the same time. I like that kind of stuff. So, like, I'm a time travel person. It's the idea of a story moving forward and backward. I, I think it's cool. It's very Pulp Fiction-y to me. I, I don't mind that as much as I mind it feels like we missed the entire Acid Rain caper. Well, and I, like you said, hopefully we'll get back to that at some point. Yeah. Like, hopefully that's a lead into the action or in progress, rather than... Just like, oh... Just a skip. Here's where it's at. Jump. Now, hopefully, hopefully that's just. I assume that as we go through things, him, whatever he planned in the first place, the same way this shifts back and forth, because we kind of go from inaction happening now explains to how we got to the action, and we have a mention of what causes to catch him in the first place. Yeah. So I have a feeling that we're going to see it play out as we go. So we're going to get those pieces, but as we go through the rest of the story, probably. Yeah, that's but it's possible. You know, I I don't mind having a story that jumps around, you know, let's get to the action and then this is how it got there. Sure. I just hate it when we miss like a part that I thought would be really interesting. You know, so I, I don't know. We Like you said, we, we will have to see. I'm definitely going to stick around and see. Right. It's not enough for me to be like, nah, right. I'm not going to read this book. Sure. But I mean, it's like when DC did its year one stuff. It drove me crazy because they would talk about, oh, during that year, ah, all this stuff happened. Were we ever going to see that? No. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, they just they just totally skip it because they're like, oh, that's boring setup stuff. I, I, I don't want to have that. I don't want to have that stuff. All right. Oh, yeah, either yeah. way, that's in the past. Pre-New 52. Well, it's all the same universe, Rob. Well, yeah, kind of. Dun, dun, dun. Bum, bum, bum. All right. Well, um, you scored it, I scored it. So, Batman, uh, get on it. That's... That's the best I can tell you for that, I guess. Well, yeah, I mean, I, honestly, I I don't know if I would say, judging on the just this issue, that All-Star is still, like, the top Bat book. I'd almost say, like, Detective for me. Right now, Detective, is, right now, Detective is doing really, really well. Batman's been pretty good, too. We've got the new characters we're dealing with. Yes. So it's, it's a different kind of thing that's happening there. Um yeah, book-wise, so far all the Batman stuff right now is pretty good. Oh, yeah. So I don't see one leading the pack, really, but Detective has been pretty interesting. Yeah, We're I, getting a lot of different pieces with it, too. Yeah, for me, you know, so far, but I mean, like, it, it was obvious when New 52 started, reading reading them all, it was like, oh, gosh, yeah, Batman was just clearly at the top. Yeah, it, it was the top dog. Well, it, yeah, it was the top dog. And, and who knows? You know, I mean, All-Star as a ghost. It could be there. You know, All-Star is kind of having to make up ground because everything else has got two or three issues already out. Four issues, yeah. yeah. Whereas, you know, they're just starting now, so... Five issues, you count the double number ones? Yeah. Rats, bastards. Yeah. But I don't think this one has. I think it's just... No, it's a monthly. All-Star. Yeah, All-Star is its own thing. It's, it's a... No, no double number one, which no. is nice. 
No, but with that timeline with things, I mean, Batman right now, it's technically its fifth issue. Two number ones, two, three, and four, so that's five issues. Yeah, you so, mean Batman is Detective Comics? Yeah. De- well, Detective doesn't. is only four issues, I think, isn't it? It doesn't matter. Right. They've got four or five issues under the belt already. Yeah. And this is just number one, so... I'm not exactly sure what we were talking about just now. I, I think we were just comparing the level of bad books, and that got ridiculous, so... Stupid stacks of nonsense. <laughs> uh, so, uh, let's see, we, we have a couple more interviews that uh, from San Diego and from, uh, from Denver. I want to say, I think the... I think San Diego's interview this episode is, I want to say Dustin Nguyen. Oh, okay. Pretty sure that's, oh. yeah, I want to say Dustin Nguyen. So uh, we'll run that through for y'all, and uh, so I guess enjoy stuff with Dustin Nguyen. <laughs> Hi, this is Steve at Top Life Comics Podcast, San Diego Comic Con 2016, and I'm here with... Dustin Wayne. All right, and Dustin, we've talked to you a couple times before, well, at least one time before, and uh, right now you're currently, you got Descender going on? Yes. Why can't you tell me about Descender? Oh, man. It's going great, man. Like, um, I'm on about issue 15 right now. Jeff is, uh, he's, I think he's in, like, the 20s right now. So, yeah, we're way, he's way ahead, and, uh, yeah, it's going great, man. It's so much fun. We just started our third volume. Um, yeah, it's going back and digging into the past and letting you kind of catch up to what the uh, every character has been doing in the last 10-year, the blackout date. Yeah. The Gap, it, it's been a fantastic book, super fun. At our shop, we have a lot of people reading it, so that's great. Uh, as far as like other other projects, now I heard that there was uh, another Little Gotham going to happen? Uh, yeah, yeah, Little Gotham's coming back. Um, it's getting collected soon, and there's going to be new, uh, you know, more material in there and stuff, and then in the um, there's more little Gotham coming in the future uh, next year. Uh, just depending on my schedule right now, but sure. yeah, that's what. Uh, not looking for promises, about. buddy. Just questions. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, dude, it's, it's tying me up like crazy. And we have Secret Hero Society too, which is uh, this classic kids book. Oh, right. um, yeah, that book came out in our second. We're on the second book right now. That'll come out next uh, February, right around the Lego Movie time. Oh, well, that's good timing. Yeah, yeah, that's good awesome. Timing. Yeah. yeah. Wow, that's really cool. Well, Dad, you're busy all the time, like covers, whatnot, everything, man. Do, do you get time to do anything personal art-wise? or? Uh, I try to. That's what my uh, my Instagram uh, site is, my Instagram uh, posts is. It's mostly drawings I draw for myself and, uh, you know, in my spare time and stuff. Right, well, if people want to look at your Instagram, what would that be? Uh, it's D-U-S-S-005. And that's, uh, you know, everything. Tumblr, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. Yeah. Awesome. So, like, out of curiosity, uh, what... When did you get, how did you get into this, man? Like, is it something you were just always passionate about, or did you just stumble, like, how did you get where you are with this? Uh, you know, I just always liked drawing, and uh, in, like, 97, I came to my first Comic-Con, uh, right here in San Diego, and I was just, like, blown away by, you know, I was like, wow, you could, you know, make a living drawing comics, you know? I was like, so I just went home, and I just drew a lot, and did samples like crazy every year, and back then there was only, like, Chicago and San Diego, but very, yeah. Very different time, yeah, man. Yeah, so I just, uh... Just pretty much just drew samples, chased down editors every day, every uh, every month. Um, you know, I do like samples here and there, and then you know when they see you over and over, and every time they see you, you have a new set of samples. They know you're not working, but you are any. You're not working for them, but you are working. Right. And it lets them know you're serious, and you know you show you you do show that you're getting better. You know, every month and every page that you do draw. Um, yeah, and after a while, they just kind of give you a chance. Um, 
Or either that or just get you to stop bugging them every show, you know? Uh, yeah. A rule of attrition, right? Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, so if you're stranded on a desert island, yeah. and you can take five items with you, items also being people, what would you take? Oh, man. Hard to say, dude. I'd probably take uh, some water for sure. See, I, I'm, I'm logical, dude. I'd take water okay. just so I could uh, drink. Take some uh, some good books to read, you know what I mean? And, and you don't have me name books now because no, no, that, no, that's no, a whole other question. That's fine. Uh, probably pack something, you know, survival stuff. A lot of sure. food. All right. And then a car window. So if it gets hot, I can roll the windows down. So. <laughs> car, car window. Perfect. Uh, all right. If you lived in Fantasyland, would you ride a chocolate pony? No, because, uh, no, I'd eat that thing so fast, dude. Uh, I'd, it'd be sad. What if it's your friend? Are you afraid of eating your friend? What's stopping me now, dude? That's a very good point. That's a very good point, sir. I appreciate you taking the time with us, Dustin. Thanks, man. Thank you. Have a great one, man. So, thanks, Dustin, for chit-chatting with us a little bit. Yeah. Um, Hey, awesome dude. Uh, fun talking to him every year I see him. So, cool, cool cat. Uh, awesome artist. Uh, if you haven't seen Leo Gotham, uh, get on it. Yeah. Uh, or Descender, which is what he's working on right now. Currently, yeah, currently Descender. Uh, and, you know. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing. You know, going in with, with watercolor really, really changes the way that you look at how a book is, is presented to you. Sure. And it's just good, a phenomenal hand. It brings out a really neat piece of work every time. So. Oh, yeah. He's an awesome artist. Yeah. Anyway, um, all right. So, uh, let's see. Rob, what would you learn today? Oh, gosh. I learned that the power goat likes to eat more than once a month or once a week. That's a that's an important thing. That is an important thing to learn. Don't leave the goat in the garage tied up to its stick. Yeah. And also, when you bring your... Um, and you bring your appliances back and they're getting recycled, that may turn into uh, appliance food. <laughs> it, it definitely is appliance food. It might. I don't know what happens I'm back there. positive that's what it is. I mean, you turn in a disposal and you get random assorted meat back. It could be different meat. I'm saying no. It, it's definitely the, your disposal just chopped up, which is messed up. <laughs> really messed up. Uh, what did I learn today, Rob? Um... Let's see, what did you learn today? I think you learned today that Deadpool talking out of time is awesome. I don't, I don't know if that's really a thing that I didn't already know. Yeah, Deadpool getting punched in the face makes his uh, his head go around? I don't know. Yeah, I, maybe you learned that Tupperware is useful for transporting hacked-up bodies as well. That is definitely something I learned yeah, today. Yeah. Something I did not know before and hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Yeah, the one that we shouldn't use is that you learn that we're going to try something different. <laughs> well, oh, that's... God damn, Duke. That's something... That's it's funny, it's funny to me, because I've said a lot today. I think it's your own personal... Yeah, it's your own personal problem. Try something different. Yeah, try something different. Anyways. Uh, all right. God, man. Let's see. Uh, how about books to watch, Rob? You got some books to watch? So we're going to have the Champions... We're going to have a solo book for Prowler, which I'm kind of interested to see if that's going to tie into the Ultimate Universe. You know, it's a good question. Like, which Prowler, which, what, what exactly that's going to be. Oh, so. yeah. It was yeah. like one Prowler bearing another, so... Oh. Um, 
when uh, they're gonna do a solo book for slapstick solo and fool killer out of Deadpool so uh, and surprisingly enough like a kingpin and a dead or in a bullseye book coming out of the Deadpool series or I'm sorry the Daredevil series so I mean, it looks like there's gonna be a lot of great stuff coming from there uh, DC is gonna be eventually doing Super Sons one day which well, Super Sons and Teen Titans both are yeah, coming which, which will be awesome both of those titles, I think, are going to be great. Yeah, um, great. Honestly, if you're if you're wanting to continue to get more stuff that is related to Rebirth, I'm, I'm strongly recommending checking out Flash and Titans, which are both great, great stories. And I think they're actually where we're going to see the bulk of the Rebirth storyline come from. Yeah, just because how heavily they're connected to the Flash. Yeah. I want to say both those are in Re- or in Second Prince. I think on each of the issues so far. Yeah. Uh, also, Red Hood and the Outlaws is fantastic um and if you haven't been reading rebirth it's totally worth picking up from image it's a fantastic story you mean like birthright it. i'm sorry birthright yeah i always keep calling it rebirth. i know i know what you're talking about though yeah joshua williamson's writing it he's also doing nail biter and he, he's got two or three other books running around he did a couple one-shot stories for uh, marvel too oh yeah but yeah book wise i mean he's got nail biter and his birthright um before that, i did xenoholics so, I mean, the dude's got a fair amount of things going on. Yeah, I got a lot of really good stuff happening within there, so I, I enjoy that story a lot. So, um, yeah, I think, I think that's pretty much it right now. I think a couple of the books that I've been reading have gone into either remission or they've wrapped up. Um, if you didn't check out, I think it was like Suicide Club. Oh, are you talking about the from Survivor's Club? Survivor Club. Wow, yeah. God, I my brain is working great. I actually really enjoyed that. I thought that was really cool. I don't think it's going to continue. I haven't finished the last issues of it yet, but uh, it's been it's been really good. So, right on. Um, I'd say watch uh, for that Boundless book, the one coming up from uh, Boom Frank Chow. Um, it's a mini series, but I think it'll be awesome. Of course, the art, nothing else, will be beautiful. Oh yeah, who's way? My God. Sorry, Kapalu is working on a new book. Um, yeah. Uh, I can't remember the title. Man, I just say that I don't remember it either. Uh, there's another one coming from Image called Seven to Eternity. That's, uh, I want to say Remender. Okay. Um, but it looks like it'll be pretty good too, space adventure type stuff. Yeah, I, um, I like Remender a lot. So. I cannot remember who the artist is on that. Man, what is Greg does have one coming out from Image? Yeah. Um, well, is it Image or is it Millar? Versus? It's, it's 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 Image, but it's Mark Millar writing it. Okay. Image Comics is the one putting it out, so I'm sure it'll be connected to the Millarverse. So here's the here's the test: Google Mark Millar and Greg Capalua, and you can find the book. I'm sure. That's true. Man, use the internet, people. God, that's what it's there for, right? It tells you everything else you need to know. But they're listening to us on the internet right now. Go we don't home. want them to leave the page. You can go to hell, sir. Just keep on the page so we get to listen. Well, I mean, we still Or you can stop it and completely exit out, and you can start us all over again right back here at the end. Hey, there you go. And then we get double listen. The main thing is the follow. Oh. You want to you okay, so, sign so, up and so follow. Sign up and follow us. Yeah. Go check out who's writing this book and, and the artwork and stuff. Oh, something else. So those of you that listen all the way to the end, which, I mean, there's a few out there. Mr. Leroy, appreciate it, sir. Yeah. Um... I've started building an archive for the old episodes. I'm going to pull some of them down off the Podomatic account in order to make our lives easier. Um, so right now there's a link on the left hand, the right hand side of the page, if you're on the regular Podomatic website, um, that has top five comics 
archive on it, or podcast archive. Uh, it's just a little square, looks like a regular logo, just with archive on top of it. Click on that link, it'll take you to the archive page as it is right now. So if you guys can play with that a little bit, uh, shoot me an email, um, top five com- or top five podcast at hotmail.com. Awesome to know if it works for you guys or not, and if you like the way it's set up. Um, if you do, then I think I'll probably go that way and we'll pull down a bunch of the old episodes and move them over. Not that you guys need to listen to them again, but you can. And for those of you that haven't, you know, they're there. Yeah, and you know, there's people who need to start from number one. Right. Yeah, you can start You can start from number one in the archive. That's true. Yeah. Now, you know what's funny about that? It's like hmm. the first episode that we did of this thing was back in 2013. Wow. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, that was crazy. Yeah, it's weird. Time's stupid. But time travel is awesome. All right. Um, I think that's all I got today, Rob. You? Yeah, I, I can't really think of a whole lot of other titles right now. But I'm... All right. Well, that's good because you gave a freaking mouthful, Mr. Yeah, sorry. And your nonsense. There's a lot of Marvel. Books you can't remember the names of. I can't. It's all right. 70 Eternity. Remember, folks, just check that guy out. Um, I want to say it starts middle of this month, so middle of August. Um, I'm pretty sure the one Greg's doing is in this month's catalog, so probably doesn't start till October. Yeah. But again, I cannot remember the name of it. So there, there was, there was two more. I'm oh, sorry. damn it! Three more. Okay. So, damn it! All right. So damn it! Iron Fist, Sandra oh, Green, of yeah. course, fantastic. Keep, keep watching that. They're gonna break off and have a Power Man series that's gonna be uh, done by Gandhi Tarkovsky, which should be really cool. He's the creator of Samurai Jack, and he's gonna be basically the same art style as Samurai Jack. And then they're going to actually go off and do another Iron Fist story, which is kind of following what they did in the previous Iron Fist run, which oh, right, right. Yeah, I, I didn't think was great, great part. but like, I, think it's I liked gonna, it. I think it's going to build some cool stuff out of that. I think if, if there's something that we didn't like before, I hope this series is going to wrap it up and make it make it good or make it better. So. Sure. I know, I, I liked it, but yeah, it had the darker tone, which I know you like the happier Danny than the darker yeah. Danny, so... But I, I liked it. Anyway, um, so yeah, oh, by, and by the way, there's a trailer for, man, it's just all kind of nonsense at the end. It's just said this earlier at the beginning. There's a trailer now for Luke Cage. Oh, yeah, yeah, it could have been in the news. Yeah, because yeah. it should have been in the thing with the stuff to watch. Yeah, and hey. uh, and Luke has got his, uh, his bracelets. At least yeah. for one scene, yes. For one scene. Maybe, so, maybe more than that. You never know. You know, hey, it's more than I expected, honestly. Yeah, so, that's true. You know, that that the only reason I'm getting excited about it is that it's like, okay, well, it's actually there. That's cool. It's kind of like with Chris Evans wearing the old Captain America suit. Oh, the classic a- one. At yeah. least it's there, and it's cool. Yeah, you know? it's a good point. Yeah, I I kind of like that idea. So. All right, uh, Taki. 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 For those of you who don't know, Taki comes from Cayman Rider. You should look up Cayman Rider to understand what's going on. <laughs> They've been doing that for over two years now, maybe three years. Maybe from episode two, actually, because I think Curtis introduced himself with a Taki at that point. Taki! So, like, for the past three or four years, if you've been listening to us, three going on four years. Yeah. Taki comes from Cayman Rider. Yeah, if you watch Cayman Rider V3, or you can look up Cayman Rider V3, all of the villains communicate, or all of the standard villains communicate right. with keys like your putty type guys from Power Rangers as, as they get kicked and jump kick and, and walk around and say yes and, and pretty much like that's that's how they talk they say Tiki! no more explanation from you people Cameron Rider to check Cameron it out alright Tiki Tiki uh, <laughs> 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 <laughs>